Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 18 through verse 29. It's really kind of is all one passage. We, we broke it up last week. We did 18 through 24, and we'll pick up with verse 25 today, but it really fits quite well together. So beginning in verse 18, it says this, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a blast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So last week we looked at this passage and we, we did the contrasting study between Sinai and Zion. And it, it was indeed very clear, the difference between the two. God drew that line. We understood it very clearly. It made all the sense in the world to us. This is Sinai. This is Zion. Sinai, Zion. And we saw that, that Sinai had the old. Zion has the new, and as we have seen so often in our study of, of Hebrews, it is seen again in this passage, Jesus is better. Jesus is the better way. Jesus is better than the old, the old system, the old, everything about the old, Jesus is better, and everything that Jesus has to offer is better. It is better, 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 and that's what our author is wanting us to understand. As we continue along then, and begin in verse 25 today, the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying, now that you get it, now that you understand that Sinai is to be left behind, now that you understand that Jesus is better, that Zion is better, now this is what you must do. You must not ignore the one who is speaking. That, in effect, is what he's saying in this passage. Now that you get it, now that you understand that you need to leave Zion and or Excuse me. Now that you understand you need to leave Sinai, stay away from Sinai, you need to embrace Zion, this is what you now need to do. And he begins in verse 25 with that. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Make sure that you do what he says. Pay attention to him. Listen up. These words are important. Why? Because Jesus is better. Go to... Hebrews chapter 1, when we started this study, we focused in on 
these verses for quite a, a time. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels and all these other things that he's going to talk about in Hebrews. And then when we get to this verse, as we're getting to the end of Hebrews, he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Listen to the one that's better. That's what he's saying. Listen to Jesus. And these folks that were wondering whether they should stay with Christianity or go back to Judaism and this struggle that they're having constantly, the writer of Hebrews says, stay here because Jesus is better and pay attention to him. Listen to Jesus. Then he says this, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. This is the principle of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The principle of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that more is expected of us in the New Testament because we have great understanding, greater understanding, greater knowledge, and we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. It's the idea that the law says, do not, do not murder. But the New Testament says, do not hate. And that's what is going on here. Because Jesus is better, he is saying that I want to transform not only what you do, I want to transform who you are. So there is more to be had in the New Testament. So he says, listen, if God didn't put up with those who didn't listen in the old, well, you need to believe that there's going to be consequences if you don't listen today in the new. Flip over to chapter 10. And it says this in verse 28 and 29. 28 and 29 of chapter 10. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and he has insulted the Spirit of grace? So the bottom line is he says over and over again here this simple basic truth that the Old Testament folks who didn't listen were dealt with. But they had a limited knowledge, limited understanding. They were limited because it was the old system. Those who are in the new, now that you've come, now that you've seen how this works, now that you understand who Jesus is, now that you get that Jesus is better, you better be listening to him because the results of you not listening are going to be more severe because now you're listening to the better voice. Well, certainly for us, we know that we'd better be listening because we understand exactly who Jesus Christ is, and we need to be listening to him because we know that his words are completely true. Look at what he says in verse number 26 then. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. As we read last week in Exodus chapter 19, at Sinai, God shook the earth. From Zion, God will shake the heavens and the earth. 
The end of verse 26 here is, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. It's taken from the book of Haggai, and verse 27 helps us understand a little bit about what he's saying. This expression, once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. All right, what's he talking about? Let's look at a couple of verses. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will become like an old garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And beginning at verse 6. Revelation chapter 6. I'm sorry, beginning at verse 12. I beg your pardon. Revelation 6, verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And now let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the writer in Hebrews is taking this Old Testament quote, and he is saying it's talking about removing those things which can be shaken. In other words, those created things are going to destroy all created things, as we have seen in Revelation over and over again in our Sunday school study. The Bible talks about the fact that these created things, these things that we understand, these things of the earth will all be destroyed. Why? Because sin and righteousness must be dealt with so that a new heavens and a new earth can be created and made a one that is perfect with no sin and no taint in any way, shape, or form so that Zion can rule because Jesus is better. That's what he's saying here. This world is part of the old. The new is Jesus. The new is Zion. And the, 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 uh, the old is going to be shaken and destroyed. The new will never, never be destroyed. Never shaken. It is solid and sin will not be a problem there. Sin will not be an issue there. And so we know that the new will last forever and it will be solid and firm and pure and holy. And that will be the place where we'll be with the Lord absolutely forever. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus is better. Zion is better. We have been seeing this idea in Revelation in our Sunday school study over and over and over and over again. Our God, our holy God, our righteous God, our redeeming God, our saving God, then ultimately our judging God, and he will take care of all the world, and he'll get rid of it, sin and unrighteousness. He'll create a new one, clearing the way for the everlasting, eternal, unshakable kingdom, because Jesus is better. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, and that's all. Listen to what he has to say. Listen to what God has to say, because you need to understand that his warnings are to be taken seriously. This is a God who shakes not only the earth as he did back then, but this is a God who shakes the heavens and the earth and will destroy all of those things. You'd better pay attention to this God. That's what he's saying. Well, and that's good advice for us today. We better be paying attention to this God who can and will destroy absolutely everything. Now, there's some people every once in a while that will hear something like that, and they'll say, I, that just doesn't, I don't know, that's, that, that's a harsh thing. Understand that even judgment is of value to the believer when we see the big picture. Because the Lord will remove everything that is not of lasting value. His enemies, the enemies of believers, pain, death, sickness, frustration, famine, disease, sorrow, suffering, persecution, hurt, death, gone. Because he's going to shake the heavens and the earth, and he's going to create a new, and that which remains after the new is made will be absolutely unshakable. Do you remember in earlier in chapter 12, verse 16, it talked about Esau, and it just threw Esau in there, let there that there will be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Esau was short-sighted. Esau was fleshly. He pursued the immediate, sensual, fleshly satisfaction at the expense of the eternal. And in this passage, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't embrace the immediate and miss out on the eternal. Jesus is better. And he's going to make something that is going to last forever. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is destroying the world that he might create a new world that we might be citizens of God's unshakable kingdom forever. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. So in 28, or excuse me, 25 through 27, hey, listen, pay attention. This Jesus is better. Pay attention to what he has to say. If you thought it was impressive that God shook Sinai, hold on, he's going to shake 
all of the earth, all of the heavens. He's going to destroy it, and he's going to make a new one, and it's going to be awesome, and that will remain, and it'll be yours forever. And he says in verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, it's not like the old which can be shaken, this earth, not perfect. The heavens, they're not what they're going to be either. He's going to destroy all of those. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. No sin, not affected in any way, shape, or form. I like to think of it this way, and this dawned on me as we were studying the book of Revelation. So heaven, obviously heaven's a pretty good place, and and we would never say that heaven has any kind of sin. Why does it need to be destroyed? And my mind went to this. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that Satan has presented himself before God in the heavens, and they've had this discussion. I think that to a certain degree, God's going to destroy it because he can't even have any hint of any kind of evil or sin in any way, shape, or form. Satan was here one day. It's gone. We're going to make a new one because sin is so horrible. We're not even going to mess with it. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and that can never be shaken because there's no sin whatsoever. The Bible says that all of creation groaned when sin came into the world. Well, it's going to be destroyed and the new creation is going to be absolutely unshakable. And that's our new home. That's the kingdom that we belong to. And let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him in a great way because that's our new home. Notice what he says here. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So what the Bible is saying here is because God's going to do away with the old and he's going to create a new and that new is absolutely perfect. Jesus is better. It is Zion. Zion is better. It is unshakable because it is made new with no sin whatsoever. Because of that, you have some things that you need to do. Let me read this to you from two different translations. The New Living Translation says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. The English Standard Version says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe. Because we have been given this unshakable kingdom, because we understand what it is that God has done for us, the Bible is calling us here to show gratitude. And in showing that gratitude, it says in verse 28, we are offering to God an acceptable service with reverence and fear. Because our God's a consuming fire. Because He is going to destroy. And He is going to make new. Therefore, you need to be doing some things. Now, this passage, what it says is it, in verse 28, it lays out how we're supposed to approach this thing. How do we approach God understanding that he's better, understanding what he's done? How do we approach him? Verse 28 says we approach him by showing gratitude, by offering to God an acceptable service 
with reverence and fear. In other words, you are doing what you're doing. You are called to do good deeds in worshiping him and standing in awe of who he is and what he's done. We kind of talked about this in Sunday school this morning. This is what we're supposed to do, it says. Then I want you to notice this. Ignore the chapter change. He begins immediately, after he does this, he begins immediately to list off a bunch of things that we're supposed to do. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in two weeks. Three weeks, actually, is what it's going to be. But what, what he's doing here is he is saying, this is where your mind needs to be. You need to be a person that is all about offering to God and showing God great gratitude. You need to be serving God in an acceptable way, and part of that acceptable way is with reverence and awe. And then he says, and here are some examples of how you can do that. Go to it. That's what the Bible's doing. It's incredibly practical and worthwhile. But before we get to chapter 13 with all the practical things, let's look at a bunch of verses that encourage us to get to where we need to be first. And then, as I said, it'll be a couple weeks before we get back to Hebrews, and we will, be going, we will begin going through the practical aspects of what we need to do when it comes to serving God with great gratitude. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. Now keep in mind, as we do this, we are not in a position to understand the complete Sinai and Zion comparison. Jesus is better that's not new to us. <laughs> we've known Jesus is better our whole Christian lives. Okay, We've always known that. But I want you to think about that as we go through these verses. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus is better. Jesus is best. Jesus has done this. Jesus is the one that I should worship. Jesus is the one that I should praise. Jesus is the one that I should thank. Jesus has done all this for me. Jesus, it's about Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Because Jesus is better, because he's given you an unshakable kingdom, this is what you should do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we're supposed to do. Psalm 19. We're going to bounce around a little bit and look at a handful of verses. Psalm 19. Verse 14. In, in preparing for what we're going to study in chapter 13, because Jesus is better, because the unshakable kingdom is mine, Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a good place to start. Before we dive into chapter 13, let's meditate upon, let's know, let's practice, let's be what verse 14 of Psalm 19 says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5. 
and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This whole idea of offering acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God, this is not a new concept in the Bible. It is throughout the Bible. This is what we're supposed to do. Our job is, as people that have been saved, as people that belong to him, we are to offer uh, spiritual sacrifices to him on a regular basis. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What do you, should I give up? What should I gain? How, how, where do you want me to be here? This is the norm. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. You all understand what a sacrifice is. You get it. You understand it. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That's what we need to be doing in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. Verse nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Don't just glorify God. Glorify God in your body. Understand who you are. Understand what he's done for you. And then glorify God using your body. And then Romans chapter 6. And we look at verses 12 and 13. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's some presentation that needs to go on here. We need to present ourselves to God as members of righteousness, and stop presenting our members as members of unrighteousness. We need, to, we need to do some prep work here. And then as we do that prep work, we're going to be ready to apply what it says in chapter 13. We're going to practice those things and do that on a regular basis. Now, it talks about acceptable service in Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews real quick. In chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore... We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. An acceptable service. Well, what is that acceptable service exactly? Well, let's look at Matthew for two verses here, and we'll kind of get a, a feel for acceptable service. Okay, acceptable service. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48.
Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How about Matthew 6, 33? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. One more, and I want to put all these together before we talk about them. First Corinthians chapter 4. And it says this in verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So what we're finding here is Jesus says be perfect. He says make sure that you seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. And then over in 1 Corinthians, Paul adds to it that make sure that you are found trustworthy. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? And so how in the world are we to do acceptable service? And here's the answer. In Jesus Christ and him alone. I can't do acceptable service apart from Jesus, and you can't do acceptable service apart from Jesus. Because if we try to serve God on our own, we're doing it in a flawed way. We're not doing it in a perfect way. We're not doing it in a trustworthy way. We're not seeking God first if we're doing it apart from him. There's some motives that are going on there. Folks, we need to make sure that we are doing what we need to be doing with Jesus and the power of Jesus, following the will of Jesus, walking with Jesus on a regular basis. And, the, and what that means is this, is that I can't ignore God and go about my day. I need to make sure that God is with me in my day. That's what I mean by that. I need to make sure that I'm communing with God in my day. I need to make sure that I'm talking to God in my day. I need to make sure that I'm praising God in my day. And let's be honest, how many of us maybe do a devotion, maybe don't do a devotion, but go into our day and really don't give God much of a thought? It happens. This Bible is telling us that what you need to do as you are serving God is you need to be doing things with Him on a regular basis so that you're where you need to be as you serve Him as the God who is always there. That's what this is talking about. That's the general idea behind all of this. That's the big picture that I want you to grasp as we leave this morning, is that we need to take God with us in our day and make sure that he is a part of every aspect of our day, that we're inviting him into all of our joys, all of our successes, all of our struggles, all of our frustrations, all of the mundaneness, all of the highs, all of the lows, that he is with us, that we are inviting him into our day without fail, that we're never leaving him behind, so that we are being where we need to be so that we can offer to him service that is acceptable, that is a reverent and awe-inspiring service is that God is always on my mind. God is always a part of my life. I have to work hard to do that, and you have to work hard to do that. But as believers, that's where we need to be. That's where we need to get to in our lives. And the reason for that is, back in Hebrews, the reason for that is that he is about to say, do these things. Well, we want to get to the point where these things that we're told to do just flow out of us. How do we do that? We invite God into our day. We're a part of him on a regular basis. 
we are practicing these things without fail, and these things just flow out of our beings on a regular basis because we recognize that we are part of that unshakable kingdom and we are showing gratitude and we are offering to God an acceptable service with reverence and fear because we see who he is and we are in awe of him and it is seen in our lives it is heard by what we say and it is seen by what we do because Jesus is better that's where the writer of Hebrews is going. That's what he wants us to do. That's where we need to be. We have something special next week, and then we're gone for a week of vacation, and then we'll be back, and we'll be into chapter 13, and we will say, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's the practical aspect of it, because just like so many books in the New Testament, it's foundation, 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 doctrine, 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 and then it's, okay, put it to work. Here it is. With Hebrews, it is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Unshakable kingdom better. Jesus is better. Zion better. Jesus is better. Here we go. Let's do these things in this way because Jesus is better. And that's where we find ourselves. Father, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, we just pray that you would do a work that we would understand that we need to embrace the fact that Jesus is better, even though we don't struggle necessarily with Sinai, but we struggle with abandoning and leaving and going back. Lord, that we would just embrace you and love you, and Father, that we would be concerned about giving you a sacrifice of praise and service in, in a reverent, awe-filled way, because you deserve it. And Jesus is so much better than anything else that's out there. Thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name.